Joseph had the wealth of Egypt at his fingertips, but he might want our donkeys. I just, I, I, I just loved the brothers in that moment. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries, and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everyone, welcome to Scattered. Um, Just before we start this week, we have an exciting uh, announcement, which is that we have an email address. So if you want to get in touch about anything, preferably related to our podcast, then I can't actually say it. So Helen's going to say it for us because it's very complicated. It is scattered at stclementschurchmanchester.org. I so much wanted you to get it wrong. <laughs> is, that Shard- is that Schadenfreude? Jill's away this week. What is she doing? Is she on holiday? Lake yes. District. Lake District. Lovely. So no I, vicar's wife. Jill, if you're listening to this, I hope you can tell which friends actually care and listen to your words. So we don't have any vicar's <laughs> wife to keep it sensible this week. So... yeah let's see what happens um we're doing we're in chapter 43 this week so we've been tracking basically from chapter 37 with joseph for a few chapters then last week we were in uh chapter 42 where the camera kind of panned back to the brothers 20 years on still living with their terrible secret um, of what they did to Joseph. The famine has driven them to seek food in Egypt, which led them straight to Joseph. Um, And we saw how their consciences are kind of slowly being stirred um, as they are kind of forced into this situation face to face with him. Uh, They meet this man who accuses them of being spies, but then sends them home with the same amount of silver that they came with. So they were kind of left terrified. What's going on? Why have we got all this silver? today we're in chapter 43 can someone tell us what is the story in this chapter in chapter 43 the famine is still ongoing verse one now the famine was severe in the land and we're about two or three years after previous events Jacob is still in denial about the dire situation that his family are in still refusing to send the brothers down to Egypt uh, to get more food And eventually Judah steps in, takes the lead and persuades Jacob to allow the brothers to go uh, into Egypt with Benjamin to get more food. They go down into Egypt with a load of gifts for Joseph, more than that they had originally come with. And they get a really super warm welcome in Egypt from Joseph. They get welcomed with a feast. Joseph sees Benjamin and is overwhelmed and uh, honours Benjamin above the other brothers and at the end Mm. of uh, chapter 43 they are all very merry lovely thank you so just thinking about the brothers because like we said last week the focus more at the moment is on these brothers and their kind of redemption what kind of further evidence of changes do we get to see in this chapter yeah we can see so clearly at the beginning when judah is willing to replace himself um or he what does he do he offers a pledge on his own life that um benjamin will be brought back to jacob so it's a pretty big deal that you know he was one that was so he was one of the first um of the brothers to want to put um joseph to death and now he's one of the first to say i'll offer my own life 
for his. Yeah, it's such a contrast, isn't mm-hmm. it? In Genesis 37 uh, verses 26 and 27, you know, they've got, they've captured Joseph, they've got him. And Judah says to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him. So Judah, being the one who was willing to sell his own brother for profit, is now the one who effectively substitutes himself for Benjamin. He's the one who effectively lays Mm -hmm. down his life. This journey they're about to do is not easy. It's not safe. And yet he was willing to say, if Benjamin doesn't make it, you can you can have me. Yeah. And I I was struck just by the way that he deals with his dad, because obviously he wants to respect his dad. But his dad is kind of still, I guess he's kind of put his head in the sand, hasn't he? In verse one, he says, go back and buy us a little more food. And Judah's like, hang on a second. If we go back without Benjamin, this guy said to us, if your brother, don't come back unless your brother is with you. Um, And then Jacob's like, why? Why did you tell him that I've got, you know, I've got another son? And yeah, Judah's just very measured and respectful. We need to do this. It's like he's taking this leadership role, isn't it? Um, Even though he's not the oldest um, and that's not necessarily his position. It's significant, isn't it, that Judah's line is going to be quite important isn't it yes so here he says if I don't bring him back I'll bear the blame forever but actually in in truth he's going to be bearing the blessing forever because his line is going to lead to eventually to Jesus who will bless all nations you know this idea of kingship initially goes to Joseph's son Ephraim um, who's like a, a, you know, one of the, eventually a, a tribe of Israel, Ephraim. But eventually, further on in the Old Testament, we'll see that the kingship then switches to the tribe of Judah. And then by the time you get to the Gospels, I'm just, um, you look at Luke chapter three, starting at verse 23 is the genealogy of Jesus. And in verse 30, it says, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, you know, and mm. because that's where it, this is the beginning of the fulfillment that was m- of the promise that was made to Abraham back in chapter 17. I think it's verse six says a king will come from you. This is God speaking to Abraham. And mm. this is where this fulfillment of this promise is beginning to be seen. And so the reason that they've got to go back to Egypt, right, with Benjamin is because last chapter, Joseph said, basically, don't come back without him. So why do you think Joseph has demanded to see Benjamin? Um, feels kind of strange. The brothers must think it's kind of strange, right? Uh, what's going on there? I think there's probably a couple of things. I think Joseph probably wants to see his only full brother after <laughs> over mm. 20 years of having not seen him. You know, there's <laughs> probably that element. Uh, I think that there's also an element of recognizing that his dreams in which his brothers all bow down before him uh, have not yet been fulfilled in their entirety. So in chapter 42, verse six, we see um, the brothers that initially come to Egypt bow down before Joseph, but Benjamin's not there. And in Joseph's dream, Benjamin is there. So recognizing Mm. that actually this hasn't come true yet. He probably, he needs to be here. This needs to be fulfilled. Um. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, because the second dream is the dream with the stars, right? And there's 11, is it 11 stars that come and bow down before him. And so he probably recognizes that that's pretty important and the fulfillment of 
God's word to him is pretty important. And then when he actually does come, there's even more importance placed on that because um, you see him get emotional at the fact that Benjamin's there and um, you see him testing the brothers using Benjamin as well. Yeah, what do you mean by that? I think partly he was using Benjamin as a um, a mirror of what he went through in the past. And so he lavishes um, Benjamin with, um, is it five times the amount of food that they have and, and just sees if they're still jealous in their hearts or if mm. there's still that, that aspect of um, enmity between the brothers, I guess. Yeah, that's really helpful. Because um, like we said last week, we don't know all his motives, like we shouldn't read too much into what he says and does as a kind of, you know, we should also do this, we should test people, we should do that. But you're right, I think we know that he's very wise, we know that that what he does essentially brings a, brings about the brother's uh, redemption. And we know that it's with love, don't we? Like the emotion that's at play. Just looking a bit more at Jacob in this chapter. So his prayer or like, blessing before the brothers leave because he kind of says doesn't he fine you know there's nothing else we can do I'm gonna have to send Benjamin with you um I'll just I'll just read out the blessing that he says he says and may God almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you doesn't name the other brother. I'd just like to say poor Simeon in this chapter. He's kind of been left in Egypt and now he's not even named. Um, And Benjamin, come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So he sends them out with these words. What's what's going on here? Yeah, of note, do you think? I think um, it's pretty key that he's used God Almighty um, or um, El Shaddai, it is in Hebrew. um, And as that's used previously when God gives the promises to Abraham in Genesis 17. You can see also in verse 11 when he's called Israel, there's obviously been a shift somewhere in his heart that the releasing of Benjamin has meant that he trusts God again. You know, um, instead of trusting and holding so tightly, I think we mentioned it last week, we use the term grabby. He's grabby with his things and not wanting to let go um this release of benjamin has meant that he's trusting once again in god rather than his own um control of the situation yeah Mm. i agree i think prior to this prayer jacob was pretty self-serving and uh unable to see the mercy that god had laid before their family he was very much woe is me but actually Here's an opportunity. There's a place of salvation. There's a place that has food. The brothers could go down there and get food from a man who seemed to accept their presence. I think maybe his fear of hurt and, you know, that fear about Benjamin, which ultimately was a fear about what would happen to Jacob himself. You know, I will feel this way if if I lose Benjamin, I will be like this. Um, you know, his selfishness is is clouding the mercy from God mm. that is before him. And, and it makes Jacob, he can't see God's plan in it because he is so surrounded by his own sort of introspective selfishness and need to control the situation. But I think he's been so pushed by the dire 
circumstances that his family are in, that by saying God Almighty, by saying El Shaddai, he's effectively saying that finally I'm going to trust in the God who has made these promises to Abraham. I really see myself in Jacob, though at this point I see myself in his, you know, when you feel like grabby like we were talking about and it feels like you're just holding on to everything that you can to still be in control and then it's all taken away from you an example that strikes me is like when your child is sick and and you've done everything that you can and they're still really sick and at that point it feels like you throw your trust on god right and before that you've trusted the doctors you've trusted the medicine you've done this and that you've tried everything you can and then suddenly there's nothing left and you're just like oh there's this desperation to it isn't it I kind of wish for me that that point would come earlier and I do I feel like it's something I'm working on in my life to to feel that desperation for God earlier and cry out to him and we can trust him and it's just hard isn't it in those moments to kind of wrestle with God um with this being called Israel and again and again like yeah like um, Juliet said in verse 11 and also like verse 8 and 6 it reminds us of, of Jacob's wrestle with God and how he came out of that with this new name and it's almost like we need to wrestle with God in that moment of feeling like we're out of control and wrestle with what he's doing and not and not let go um, because in that he will bless us. So Going back to the story later in this chapter. So they go to Egypt, don't they? They take these gifts. It's interesting, isn't it? Jacob's like, okay, I'm going to trust God, but here's all these nuts and spices just in case. (laughs) (laughs) They get to Egypt and um, Joseph is busy. What happens and how does he treat them? And what does it teach us about like mercy and restoration. I mean, he shows super, a, a huge amount of grace towards them again, doesn't he? It's, you know, they're looked after not only while he's not there, but um, also while he's there. It's the two. The people in Joseph's house have been told to be ready. If my brothers come back, this is how I want them to be treated. Uh, again, it co- again that grace causes them to fear. I really enjoyed it in verse 18 where it says they were brought into Joseph's house which in itself is a huge deal culturally they're brought into Joseph's house and then he says um so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys and I thought not the donkeys I was like my goodness so I just thought it shows like a complete lack of understanding of the world that they were in in Egypt you know Joseph had the wealth of Egypt at his fingertips but he might want our donkeys. I just, I, I, I just loved the brothers in that moment in some ways. Maybe they like, were. Oh, they're so cute. Maybe they were special donkeys. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, yeah. Joseph doesn't steal their donkeys. In fact, he lavishes goodness upon them. Yeah. I was just so struck by. Um, the steward when when the brothers say that to the steward and then they give an explanation as well like oh we had this leftover money in our sacks and we brought it all back and we brought more back as well and the steward replies peace to you do not be afraid your god and the god of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you Mm -hmm. i received your money Mm -hmm. and and it's just this is a steward of, this is an Egyptian, a steward of Joseph's house. 
And um, it's mentioned this term, your God, the God of your fathers, mentioned four times in Genesis is really key to knowing the person of God. And so you'd think, you know, how would he come to know this? Only through um, Joseph's sharing with him. And I think that's really special to see, you know, here he is alone in a foreign land and yet he's impacting the people around him so powerfully. So the steward acting on Joseph's command does lots of stuff for Joseph's men, doesn't he? He gives water uh, to wash their feet. He feeds their donkeys, their precious donkeys. I love that mm. the donkeys are such a key part of this passage. Maybe we should do a section on donkeys. Um, <laughs> Cloaks and donkeys. We missed those. We missed donkeys off the list of themes last week. I'm going to write a book <laughs> called Cloaks and Donkeys, What You Missed from Genesis. <laughs> and then they prepare their gifts and then Joseph comes and they're like, here's our gifts. Let's talk about those gifts. It's kind of interesting what they bring to Joseph, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, these gifts are exactly the same things that the slave traders were taking down (laughs) to Egypt. You know, I just wonder whether Moses, while he was reading, (laughs) writing this, just was like laughing his head off at the ironies (laughs) and things that go on here. Um, Yeah, they, they bring to Joseph exactly the same things that the slave traders were taking down to Egypt when the brothers sold Joseph to them like that Mm. full circle I just wonder whether Joseph spotted it as well I'd love to have known whether he recognized the irony of what was going on yeah I was listening to this guy uh, who was preaching about this he was talking about how you know Joseph kind of dragged behind the camel's on the way to Egypt would have smelt these like spices and you know Mm. and then to smell them again you know how kind of smells just bring this feeling with them don't they you can just imagine him almost tasting the irony of the moment and then he he sees Benjamin doesn't he and he's very moved at the sight of his brother verse uh, 30 he goes off to weep again we can see again just how much this affects Joseph he's not this hard uh bitter leader is he he's he's really affected by this and then he serves them a load of food and they feast together so we've got this idea of like all this fear turning to feasting what echoes of the gospel um or jesus in this passage are we've talked throughout uh joseph's story about him being a type of christ um what's going on in in here uh for the I guess for our hearts and for obviously the hearts of the first readers who were uh reading this or hearing this from Moses what do you make of all of that I think if you follow the the story of the chapter that the gospel is weaved throughout it you know you've got Judah laying down his life standing in um Benjamin's place if necessary effectively um and then which eventually, which results in them being able to go down to Egypt, which results in them eventually feasting with uh, somebody else who is we are supposed to look at as a pointer towards Christ, which is Joseph. You know, so it, the whole chapter involves substitution and laying down your life for someone, and then that resulting in a massive feast, which is the promise for us, isn't it? In Jesus Christ, you know, He laid down our life, His life for us so that eventually 
we will get to spend an eternity with him in heaven, feasting with him um, with, with, with never-ending joy. Now, recognizing that they drank and were merry with uh, Joseph, maybe they were intoxicated. Uh, I don't ent- anticipate that happening to, for us in heaven, but it's this idea of abundance, the idea of more than we deserve having done nothing to deserve it. You know, Benjamin gets more five times as much as he should do. This idea of abundance, of grace, of more than we deserve is woven throughout this chapter. Mm. And I think there's a taste here also of um, common grace or grace that's there for all people. Um, And you see God blesses people all over the world. Like here, the brothers don't yet know who Joseph is. There's a lot of people around the world who are blessed by God, yet do not know the source of where their blessing comes from. Mm. This part of the story kind of reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. You've got the son who, who leaves his father, turns his back on his father. He's lost everything. He turns around and he's like, okay, what can I do? And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and be a hired servant I'm going to say this I'm going to do this and he turns around he goes home and his father is like looking for him and he like hitches up his trousers and runs towards his son and there's this beautiful moment of grace isn't there that's what grace it's not about what the 11 sons of Jacob can bring to Joseph Joseph probably doesn't care much about the nuts or the donkeys yeah (laughs) he just cares about the fact that his brothers have come and he wants to feast with them. It's, it's a beautiful picture of how God is ready to welcome us home. We, we can't bring our good deeds. We can't bring our good intentions to him and be like, ta-da, because he just loves us and he wants us. He wants our hearts. Mm, I felt like, you know, like Joseph is testing his brothers. I, I feel like God likes to test us too. Um, he wants to test our faith not just for his sake, but for our sake, so that, you know, we can put our dependence on him. I think it's helpful, like this, this parallel that Joseph is kind of seeing if they want his stuff or if they want him. And um, I think God also uses that mm. in our lives. He takes away some stuff <laughs> and to see if we want him for who he is and, um yeah, not just for what he can give us. Mm. Yeah, and he often puts us in repetitive situations, doesn't he? Often I find myself saying, I can't believe I'm in this position again. But, you know, I think we can see that reflected in this chapter in the way that the brothers react this time when Benjamin is honoured above them, as opposed to when Joseph was honoured above them. You know, there's a character change in the brothers, isn't there? You can see how they've changed from, we're going to kill Joseph because our brother, our dad favours him, to actually at the feast at the end of chapter 43, there's no mention of a negative reaction from the brothers when their youngest brother is honoured above them. And I, mm. I, I just pray mm. that for us, as God lovingly disciplines by us, by putting us into these same situations or allowing us to get ourselves into these same situations again and again, that we can exhibit the same character change, the same character progression as we get put into these situations. Yeah, definitely. And I love that moment in verse 33 where they look at each other in astonishment. And I just feel like, you know, in in heaven, when we're rejoicing with Jesus, 
receive a massive dose of grace. That's just what we do, isn't it? We just look at each other like, what? Like they're amazed because Joseph has sat them down in age order. Um, and they're just amazed because the chances of that are very, very low. And and it's just um, this moment of, wow, like what is going on? I think that can be true for us now as well. I, I was really struck reading Psalm 23, which is quite a familiar psalm for lots of people. Um, there's a part there where he says um, that God will prepare a a table for us in the presence of our enemies there's a sense Mm. that even Mm. our enemies are not able to stop us from enjoying God's generous blessings and goodness to us and yeah that can be true right now wherever Mm. whatever we're going through yeah and it's interesting isn't it because verse 32 it's not all right yet is it I mean we obviously there's more chapters to go but we've got Joseph is served by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. So we're kind of at the nearly, aren't we? We're at the kind of things are happening, it's exciting. Um, but yeah, let's let's come to an end there. Thanks, guys. And we'll be looking at chapter 44 next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.